a good underdog story. When I was thinking back to some of my favorite movies that I've ever seen, so many of them were underdog stories. Rocky, 1976. Yo, Adrian! Was that that an awesome Sly Stallone right there? Hunger Games, Rudy, Rudy. I mean, not just an underdog, but Notre Dame football. Could there be a better match than that? Pursuit of Happiness, Hoosiers, October Sky, Miracle, Slumdog Millionaire, Dodgeball. (laughs) If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. That's exactly right. There's just something that inspires us about an underdog story, those rags to riches stories, those overcoming, overwhelming odds. Today, we're going to talk about David and Goliath, one of the classic underdog stories. In fact, the idea, the term David and Goliath has actually become synonymous with the underdog story. So heading into this story, I just realized that we've probably all heard this so many times that we kind of know the story, and so did I. But then I started to research a little bit, and I realized I may not have understood everything that I needed to understand about the David and Goliath story. Because like so many other things that we're going to find out in this series on the life of David, we need to learn to expect the unexpected. Now this story begins with the battle lines drawn. On one side, we've got the armies of Israel. On the other side of the battle, we've got the Philistines. And the Philistines have a giant, and his name is Goliath, nine plus feet tall. I mean, he is the master of hand-to-hand combat. There is nobody better. He's the best of the best. The Philistines know it, and Goliath knows it. And the text says that every day, morning and evening, he comes out and he taunts the nation of Israel, in his do-rag, in his barbed wire tattoo, in his B.O., he pounds his chest, points at the nation of Israel, and he taunts them. He says this, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you are the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, We will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. But on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Who's the man that Goliath is calling out to? It's Saul. Saul knows that it's Saul and everybody else knows that it's Saul. He is the king of Israel. But Saul is scared to death. He's hiding in the background. Saul is a coward. The taunts of Goliath echo in his soul. Give me a man. Show me a man. Are you not the servants of Saul? But Saul is afraid. 
He knows that he's a coward and he knows that everybody else in his army knows that he's a coward. He sees the murmuring. He knows what's going. He sees the conversations that stop when he walks up. He knows that he's a coward. And Saul is looking for a way out. Have you ever felt like Saul? Up against it? Just felt like, I, I know that I don't have what it takes to fight this battle. And you're haunted by your fears. You're hopeless about the future. And you're hiding from your foes. And you're doing everything that you can to try to project to the world that you've got it all together. And you know that it's just not working. Well, here's Saul's plan. He says, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pay somebody a whole lot of money if they'll go out and fight Goliath for me. And not only am I gonna give them money, I'm gonna give them my daughter as well, a place at the table in my palace if someone, anyone, will go fight him. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, literally, David is watching the sheep. Overlooked David. But his dad comes to him because his older brothers have gone to fight in Saul's army. His dad comes to him and says, David, will you take some provisions to your brother, brothers? I want to know that they're okay. Would you bring back word that your brothers are okay? And David gladly does this. He grabs the provision. He runs to where the battle is being fought. And as he shows up, the battle lines are once again being drawn. And he's there just in time to hear Goliath taunt the armies of the living God. And as David stands there and listens to Goliath taunt, the armies of Israel run away behind him, scared, afraid. As David stands there, there's just one question that's on his mind. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would defy the armies of the living God? David's looking back at everyone. Guys, what are you doing? Why are you running? And he starts to inquire with some of the other people in the army. What is it that Saul's going to do to remove this disgrace from Israel? And they begin to tell him Saul's going to give great riches and his daughter to the one who will go out and fight Goliath. Well, Saul actually gets the word that there's somebody out there that's inquiring about going to fight Goliath. Finally, someone anyone. Saul's, his just hopes start to soar until he sees David. Really? Little David? Teenager David? Little brother David? Overlooked David? Anointed David. David says to everyone, do not lose heart. Your servant will go and fight him. Really? David, you're going to fight Goliath? His brothers scoff. Saul sighs. But you know what? They don't see what David sees. You see, what David sees is he knows his life. He knows the backdrop of his life. He knows all the things that God has been doing in his life and through his life as a simple shepherd boy. And he knows, I can do this. And so he tries to convince them. He says, guys, it's like this. When I was out there watching the sheep, the thing that would happen over and over again is that lions would come to take the sheep. 
And you know what I would do? I would take my sling and I'd kill him. And bears would come to kill the sheep. And you know what I did? I killed him. This Philistine, he's gonna be just like one of those. But here's what David makes clear that they know. He says, it was the Lord. It was the Lord that delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear. He knows God's hand is on his life. He knew that it was him. Saul's probably just at his wit's end. And I wish I could have been there to hear Saul say this to David. He says, go and the Lord be with you. I just imagine that Saul's words were just dripping with sarcasm, not dripping with faith. Almost like a a pat on the head, a good luck little buddy. But after 40 days, every day, morning and night of being humiliated by Goliath, I think Saul was just willing to roll the dice. Someone will go to fight him. Now friends, here's where I think sometimes we actually get the story of David absolutely all wrong. Because we talk about this being this incredible underdog story. But here's the thing that strikes me. David, he doesn't think that he's an underdog. So why should we think that David is an underdog? In David's mind, you know what he would say? The enemy is the underdog because of two things that I've seen in my life. I trust God's preparation in my life and I trust God's power in my life. And for those reasons, the enemy in this is the underdog. Because that's how we approach this as the classic underdog story. Because you've got Goliath on one side. He's this huge warrior, skilled in battle, and he's got the most high-tech of equipment. His sword and spear and javelin and his armor is stuff that the world has never seen. And on the other side, you have David. He's just a young boy, a kid. Really no experience in battle whatsoever. And you know what he's got? He's got a slingshot. He's got a sling. Now oftentimes when we think about what it was that David had, we we think of little kid toy, we think of this. That is not what David had. David had something that looked more like this. It was a weapon that was used in warfare. In ancient warfare, there are actually three different kinds of, of modes of battle. The first was the cavalry. And those were where they used horses and chariots to go into battle. There was the heavy infantry, which was your foot soldiers, hand-to-hand combat. That's what Goliath was all about. But there was another group of people called the artillery. The artillery. The archers and the slingers. David was a slinger. When he was out there with the sheep, this is what he learned to do. He learned to use a sling. He learned to kill things with a sling. And this is what it was like this. You had this leather pouch that you would put in a rock or a lead ball and you had these two long cords and they would spin this around. And as they spun it, they would get it going upwards of six to seven revolutions per second. And at just the right time, they would let go of one of the cords and it would send this projectile killing whatever it was that they were aimed at. Now, let me, let me just show you how this works. You guys are gonna wanna spread out a little bit right here. Get, get your hands up. It didn't go really well at the nine. No, I won't. I promise I won't do that. 
But here was the question that I had. Is there, is there accuracy with this? Here's what Malcolm Gladwell talks about when he talks about his, his uh, research that he did into the story of David and Goliath. Historically, in battle, slingers could make a kill at up to 200 yards. You might find this hard to believe, but actually someone brought a YouTube video to me up after this, and there was a guy just over and over again, wham, like yards away, probably 50 yards away, knocking off a stump with a rock over and over and over again. He made it look so easy. Malcolm Gladwell says that experienced slingers could actually knock a bird out of the air in flight at close range. Ancient battles, most of the time, they were decided by the slingers because they were able to kill at a distance. And that's what David wants everybody to understand. I've got the skill needed. God has prepared me. If I can kill a lion, a small animal that's mobile, I can kill a giant that is just standing there. He will be just like one of them, a lion, a bear, a Philistine. It's all the same to me. But here's the thing. Everybody assumed going into battle that this was gonna be hand-to-hand combat. That's what Goliath assumes. When he goes down, what does he say to David? Come to me so that I can rip your flesh apart and feed it to the birds. Come to me. Let's go right now, mano y mano. And Saul is thinking the exact same thing. That's why he's trying to put his armor on David. And what does David say? He says, this isn't gonna work. It doesn't fit me. Meaning I haven't haven't proven it. This is not how I roll. This is not how I am going in to battle. David uses stones and he moves into battle. Here's what David knows. I'm never even gonna get close to this guy. He's never gonna know what hit him. This is what the story tells us. Goliath, he brought a knife to a gunfight. The enemy was the underdog here. Goliath was the one that was the underdog. But friends, there's there's a deeper point to this preparation in David's life that we've got to grab a hold of because this is gonna hit us where we live. What was it that prepared David? It was being out there as a shepherd boy killing things that allowed him to have the, the, the ballistics to know how to use a sling. But it was the fact that he was overlooked by his family, that he was undervalued by his family. That's why he was out. He was the little brother sent out. It's so easy for us to look at the weaknesses in our life, his weakness as the little brother, maybe even a woundedness, You know, I'm always getting left behind by my older brothers. They're always getting to go off and go into battle and I'm stuck watching the sheep. His weakness and his woundedness turned into a weapon in the hands of God. This is what we've got to see, friends. There are so many times in our life that what we think is pasture time, watching sheep being overlooked, is actually preparation time. There's something that God wants to do in and through your life as he's growing and developing you. Our weaknesses and our wounds can become our weapons. Think about how David could have approached it. He could have just sat out there watching sheep, whiny. I hate this. Why do I have to always be the little brother? I hate my older brothers. 
I always get to do the fun stuff. I hate my dad. My dad's the one who makes me be out here. And God, where are you? Where are you in all this? He could have been whiny and complaining, but David was preparing. His wounds and his weaknesses were becoming his weapon. And friends, you don't have to have lived very long and talked to very many people that you see that this has almost become cliche in life, that God uses difficult things, weaknesses and wounds to help us in our future life. So many times when I've talked to people that are successful in different things, if you ask them, how did you get there? Very rarely do you ever hear anyone say, well, it was just win after win after win after win. I just couldn't lose. So many times the actual turning point in a person's life is when they bumped up against something, a weakness, a wound. And the perseverance that it took to move through that was actually what propelled them to be what God wanted them to be. Friends, our pasture time can be our preparation time if we'll let God use us. And that's what David did. He prepared himself. But he didn't just trust his preparation. God's preparation in his life, he trusted God's power. Again, as the battle lines were drawn, as the nation of Israel is looking across the valley at the Philistine army, every one of them, all they could see was the giant. But all David could see was God. He was focused on something completely different. There's an actual subplot that starts to develop in this story. So many times we talk about this being David versus Goliath. But I think in some ways this is a giant focus versus a God focus. Everyone in the Israelite army, they majored on Goliath. But David, he majored, majored on God himself. How do I know that David focused on God? Simple math, really. If you were told there would be no math when you came to church today, you were lied to. We're gonna do some math. When David shows up on the scene, how many times does he refer to Goliath? I count only two. Only two times. And in one of those times, he's saying, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would defy the armies of the living God? Even when he's referring to Goliath, he refers to him as an uncircumcised Philistine. What is he saying? He is not circumcised. He is not a child of the covenant of God. He is outside of relationship with Yahweh. Even when he's taunting Goliath, He's got God in his mind, this uncircumcised Philistine. Only two times does he refer to Goliath. How many times in this text does David refer to God? Nine, nine times. We are the armies of the living God. The Lord will deliver us. The battle belongs to the Lord. He, the Lord, is the one that will give him into our hands. Everybody else saw Goliath. David saw God nine times to two. What's the ratio there? Here's the math, 4.5 times. 4.5 times more does David think about God than he thinks about Goliath. How does that ratio compare with you? Do you ponder God's grace 4.5 times more than you ponder your own guilt, your own shame, your own sin. When you list out your blessings, is that list 4.5 times longer than your list of complaints? 
Is your mental file of hope? Is it 4.5 times bigger than your mental file of dread? Are you 4.5 times more likely to talk about God's goodness and his kindness as you are about talking about the challenging circumstances of your day? David saw the giant. He saw the giant. The giant was real and the giant was big. But what David knew is my God is bigger. Friends, every one of us, we're gonna have giants that taunt us in this life. Every one of us. And they're real and they're dangerous and there is no guarantee that we're gonna win every battle against the giants in our life. But our giants, they don't come at us with a sword and a spear, do they? They come at us with bills that we can't pay, a marriage we can't fix, loneliness we can't quench, a prodigal kid that we can't get to come home. We have grades we can't make, we've got parents we can't please, booze we can't resist, porn we can't refuse, a career we can't escape, a past we can't shake, and a future we can't face. We all have giants, every one of us. We have giants that roar, but what David wants us to know is that we've got a God that roars louder. What is it that we're focused on? Are we focused on the power of God? So many times when working on these sermons, finally get to the place during the middle of the week where I just think, God, I, I think this might just be for me. I'll, I'll share with my friends on Sunday because that's what you're asking me to do, but this is just for me. As I wrestled with this and looked at my life, I just felt like I was just had blinders on, just tunnel vision. And the only thing that I could see were the problems and the frustrations and the losses. All I could see was everything that was not going well in life. In the midst of preparing this and talking with God, just in my soul, I just felt him say to me, lift your eyes. Bob, lift your eyes from those things. Put your eyes on me. See what it is that I'm doing in your life. And so I thought, I wanna make this practical. God, how do I do this? How do I do what David did? 4.5 times. So I got together with my friends this week Instead of doing what we normally did, I said, hey guys, here's what we're gonna do. Let's just go around the table, one after another, and I just want us to share, where do we see God at work? Where do we see him showing up in our life? And we just shared one after another after another the whole time that we were together. And I just began to see in my heart and my life, my spirit began to rise. Later that day, I was going on a walk with my wife, and I said, here's what we're gonna do. I said, while we're walking, we're just going to go back and forth, a little ping pong. And we're just going to say over and over, what is it that we're thankful for? What is it that we're grateful that God is doing in our life? The whole walk, almost an hour and a half, back and forth, talking about the things that we were grateful for. I can't tell you what that did in my life. We've got to have ways and times that we think and we pray and we move our heart and mind to think about, not about the giants in our life, but about the power of God and his ability to show up in our life. Because that's what David trusted. He trusted his preparation. He knew God was doing something in his life and he trusted in God's power. He saw God more than he saw the giant. And you know how this story ends. David rushes into battle, swinging his sling. He never gets close to Goliath. He lets it fly. 
The rock hits Goliath on the forehead, embeds in his forehead. The giant falls face down in front of the Israelites. Everyone in the Israelite camp erupts in excitement. Everyone in the Philistine camp erupts with fear. Uh Uh-oh. The Philistines now, they're on the run. The Israelites come and they plunder the camp and they take all the riches. That's the end of the story. David and Goliath. Now, if you leave here today and you think that the big idea behind this story is that I just need to be more like David. I just need to figure out how do I muster up the courage? How do I pull myself up by my bootstraps and get the kind of courage that David had to fight all the giants? And if I just fight all the giants, God's gonna kill all the giants in my life. If you leave here today thinking that's the message, I think I have failed you as a teacher and I think I've actually set you up for failure. There's something that God wants us to see. At the beginning of this story, it refers to Goliath as a champion. It said every day he would send out the champion. That word champion literally means the man who stands in between. This is what they were talking about. This is one who enters into a single combat between two armies. The champion was the one that represented the army. And that's why day after day, Goliath is calling out, you guys, Israel, you send out a champion. And we're gonna fight in a single combat, one-to-one, winner takes all. This is why they would do this in the ancient world. They would have one man versus one man to fight a battle. So it would keep there from being incredible amounts of bloodshed and loss of life. Choose a man and have him come down to me. Send out your champion, your representative. And here's what you need to understand about the champion. He doesn't just fight for his army. He fights as his army. He fights in their place. When he wins, when the champion wins, all of his army wins. When the champion loses, all of his army loses. It's a winner take all. Here's what we see in this story. When David won the battle as the champion, all of Israel won. All of the army of Israel won. And you know what? Only one person lifted a stone that day. Yet all of them were the winner. The point of this story, friends, is not that we need to be more like David. The point of this story is most days, we're like Saul in the Israelite army. We're scared and we're afraid and we don't want to walk into the battle. The point of this story isn't that we be like David. The point of this story is that we need a champion. We need someone who is willing to fight for us and someone who is willing to fight as us. A thousand years after David, God sent a champion. And his name was Jesus. Jesus came here to fight for you, but not just to fight for you. Jesus came to fight as you, in your place. When Jesus went to the cross, 
He was fighting the battle against our greatest fears, our fear of death, our fear of shame, our fear of guilt, our fear of abandonment, our fear of loneliness, our fear of unworthiness, our fear of, am I really gonna have an identity? Jesus fought as our champion for us and he fought as us in our place. But just like David, when Jesus went into this battle, when he went to the cross, he looked like an underdog. Everyone looked at him and thought, total underdog, naked, bloody, arms spread on a Roman cross, underdog. His enemies laughed, scoffed. And the enemy of all enemies, the enemies of our soul, the devil himself looked down and thought, underdog, victory for me. But just like in David, the enemy became the underdog. Because what Jesus was doing is that he was fighting as our champion. He was fighting for us and as us. So if we want to understand the story of David, it's not about us trying to muster up some great courage to fight every battle that comes our way. There might be some profit in that, but what God wants us to understand is that we have a champion. We have one that fights the battle for us. And if you wanna be like David, what you need to do is you need to look to the champion who fought the battle for you. And that's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. The writer of Hebrews explains it this way. Hebrews 12:2 says this. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. If we're gonna set our gaze on something, if we're gonna set our mind on something, he says, set your eyes on Jesus. And who's Jesus? He's the pioneer. The pioneer, who's the pioneer? The pioneer's the one that goes out ahead of everybody else. The writer is trying to tell us Jesus is the champion. He's the one that goes out ahead. He's the one that goes before you. He's the one that fights the battle for you and as you. He's your champion. And for the joy set before him, it says he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is our champion. He fought the battle for us and as us. And the writer there tips his hand. It says, for the joy set before him, As Jesus was going to the cross, what was the joy that he was looking at? It certainly wasn't the cross. It certainly wasn't the reality that he was gonna bear the wrath of Yahweh for the sin of the world. The joy, the joy was you. The joy was me. That this battle was being fought for you. He was fighting the battle in our place for us and as us. So you can leave here today and say, I want to be like David, but I think God would say to you, you need a champion. You need a champion like David in your life. And what God would say is, fix your eyes on Jesus and be reminded day in and day out that he's the one who went before. He's your champion. He fights for you and he fights as you. Jesus was adamant. He never wanted us to forget that he was our champion, that he fought the battle for us. And so at the very end of his life, on the night before he was betrayed, when he was with his closest followers, he set out 
a ceremony for them to remind them over and over that I am your champion. And that ceremony is what we call communion. And here's the reminder. This is what we're gonna do here in just a few minutes. When we take this bread, it's the reminder of Jesus's body that was broken for us. Our champion in our place, our body was not broken. His was for us. And we're gonna dip that bread into the wine, which reminds us of his blood that was shed for us. He fought the battle. His blood was shed, not ours. He is our champion. He did that for us in our place. As we celebrate communion, we're gonna come up here and grab the bread and dip it into the wine to remember that Jesus is our champion. But I want you to do something else. When you come up here, you're gonna see that there's a, a little bucket and it's got some stones in there. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to grab one of these stones and I want it, you to take it home with you. Because I want you to put it in a place that you'll remember. Jesus is your champion. There's someone who fought a battle for you and you didn't even have to lift a stone. He fought in your place. And I wanna encourage you to do this especially if you came with someone here today, as you're leaving today, as you're driving home, I want you to share with them. This is a battle that I'm in right now. This is a giant that I'm facing in my life. This is a place where I need Jesus to be my champion. Would you pray for me? And if you didn't come with someone, would you text someone? Would you call someone? Hold up that stone as a reminder. Jesus is your champion. He fought the battle for you. He won the battle for you. And you didn't have to lift a stone. Let's pray. Jesus, we're grateful. We're grateful that you were willing to go before us. You're our pioneer. You're our champion. Because you were willing to be broken and have your blood shed we have the victory. Not because of what we've done, but because of what you've done. And as we take communion, Jesus, we just want to declare our gratitude. Thank you. Thank you for being our champion. And it's in your powerful and risen and conquering name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.